Those of you who had your Bibles open and were reading along with Annie on page 750 or in John 129, then I encourage you to keep your finger right there. Uh, keep your finger there, but turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, which is 682 in the Pew Bible. So you're going to have you're going to have to use two fingers. One on page 750 and one on page 682. One for John 129 and one for Matthew 3.13. But we're not there yet. So that's okay, Jason. Um, I mentioned that Robin is gone, and that she is. And I function okay, just okay, when she's gone, uh, but not uh, marvelously. I must admit that I am no Larry Luck when it comes to being in the kitchen. The fact is, I don't like cooking for myself very much at all. I, my, my friend Mark Love, who actually I think has been here and spoken before this church, he wrote on uh, Facebook this week that his wife was going out of town, and he said something like, chips, salsa, and ice cream, because his wife was going out of town. And, and he was referring to the fact that that's what he would eat most of the time that, that she was gone. And I, I wrote back and I said, that's me, except for breakfast I would throw out the ice cream. So we just have chips and salsa. And I, I can do cold cereal. I'm not bad at that, uh, although I, I sometimes blow it, but I can do cold cereal. I'm kind of like the guy who called his wife one day and said, is there anything I can bring home for you from the uh, grocery store? And she said, yeah, that's fine. I'd love to have you stop by the grocery store if you would. I've got uh, some things I'll send you. I'll email them to you before you leave. And if you'll pick these up, that would be great. So he got the email list. He comes home and there's a problem. He comes home. He with one five-pound bag of flour. He's got two 10-pound bags of potatoes. He's got three bottles of pancake syrup, four bottles of cooking oil, five gallons of milk, and six heads of lettuce. He walks in the house, and his wife looks and said, there's a problem. She shakes her head, and she says, I knew I shouldn't have numbered that list. (laughs) And I'm kind of like that. I, I may not like uh, cooking for myself. I'm not so handy around the kitchen, I must admit. But I love what we're doing this fall with the Word of God. That I can feed on. I absolutely love looking at Jesus in the Gospels. I think it's one of the healthiest things that a church can possibly do. So I'm excited about what we're going to be doing this fall. We've got this beautiful banner up here, Walking Anew with Jesus. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life from John 8:12. And I'm excited about what we're going to do in the Gospels, both on Sunday mornings in our sermon time and also in our life groups. We're also, in the life groups, there's going to be the orality. A lot of the life groups are going to be doing orality and focusing on Jesus in those. And I just think that's uh, very exciting. Well, a little background about the text we're looking at this morning. Here's an interesting fact. We simply don't know exactly when John the Baptist first understood that there was something special about Jesus. We don't know that. Now, we heard the story and we know that there was a baby, Elizabeth's baby, John, and that Elizabeth is a relation to Mary of some kind, we think probably a cousin, And we know that when Mary walks into the presence of Elizabeth, or Elizabeth walks into the presence of Mary, that there is a baby inside Elizabeth, John, who leaps with joy because the mother of his Lord is there with him. So even 
inside the womb, John the Baptist knew something about Jesus. But we don't know exactly what, and we don't know the time frame of when all of that happened. Did Jesus and John spend time together as little boys? I think it's very possible. In fact, I would say that it's likely that as time went on that John comes to know who Jesus is at some level. He recognizes that there's something special about this one that he has come to know as his relative. Well, look at Matthew chapter 3. Because it's interesting to me what happens here in the life of Jesus and in John the Baptist with reference to what it is that Jesus starts to mean to John. It says in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, it's pretty clear for me that something happens there that begins to reflect on who Jesus is. Matthew, uh, this should be Matthew 3, 13 through 17, says John's question in verse 14 tells me that John knew Jesus prior to Jesus' baptism. It's interesting that he, when he, Jesus walks up to him, he says, what are you doing coming to be baptized by me? I should be baptized by you. Well, what is it that causes John to say that? There must be some kind of prior acquaintance that, Je- that John has with Jesus, although none of that is recorded and we simply don't know. And then from verses 16 to 17, we know that John understands much more about Jesus after his baptism. So after the baptism, after the the proclamation has been made, this is my son, and after John sees the dove land on Jesus, clearly something is going on. John the Baptist recognizes that there is something special about Jesus that is taking place. So he knew him as second cousins perhaps before. Now he knows him as something much different. Now flip back in your Bibles to John 129. And this morning, I want us to notice three things that are going on. First, John knows who Jesus is prior to this particular event. Notice in verse 26, just up above the verses that we're looking at, it says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. And so Jesus is standing apparently somewhere in the crowd and John looks and says, you don't know him, you don't understand yet who he is, but I'll tell you there is someone standing among you who you don't know and he's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So John recognizes something special about Jesus and sees him there. Then if you look down at verses 32 and 33, says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is indeed the son of God. So we know from that that there is indeed some things that prior to the event of Jesus coming and being testified to by John there as the Lamb of God, that John already knows about Jesus and he's received some of that from his baptism. The second thing I want us to notice is John's purpose in this passage. It says here that John came that Jesus might be revealed to the world as the Son of God. 
And so you look at this text, and John is very clear about why it is that God has put on him this special task. He wants the world to know who Jesus is, and he says specifically that that's why he came. Now this is interesting. Because when it says that God wanted John to testify about who Jesus is as the Son of God, and to reveal that to the world, that the claim is being made apart and separate from any other claim. And what I mean by that, if we're going to say it just quite openly, is that if Jesus is the Son of God, if that's the claim, then Muhammad is not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then it sounds to me that Gahatma Buddha is not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then Vishnu is not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then Gandhi was not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then Jim Jones is not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then your materialism and my materialism is not the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then all the success that I can have in this world is not the Son of God. And those things cannot command our attention. They can't call our allegiance. They can't call out of us love, like Jesus, the Son of God. Your addictions, my addictions, are not the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's what John the Baptist was sent to reveal. He's sent to reveal that to the world. Something certainly that you and I need to understand. Now look again with me at verse 29. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now that's a significant claim. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Then it says, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And so John recognizes exactly who Jesus is in relation to himself. And then he says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now here's a question. We've already said that John is likely the cousin at least of Jesus. We've already seen that Jesus knew something about, or that John knew something about Jesus prior to him coming to Jesus or to John at the baptism. We know that there were claims made about Jesus that are special by John that he's already made about and seen that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Spirit came and landed on him. Why is it then in verse 31 that John specifically says, I didn't know him? Why does he say that? Why does he say, I didn't know him? I think the answer lies in the fact that John means something special when he says that he didn't know him, that he didn't understand. You know, Miles is in my small group. I know Miles and am able to recognize him. So when he's sitting here, I can say, that's Miles. But because Miles is in my small group, 
And because we sometimes in our small group, our life group, we have a chance to share things that are meaningful to us. And because I've heard Miles talk about the pain that his wife experiences. And because I've seen tears fill his eyes when he thinks about Dana and sometimes what her pain means in her life and in their lives. I know Miles in a way that I don't know some of you. And I think that's what John was saying when he says, I didn't know him. I kind of knew him as maybe my second cousin. I'd had some relationship with him in the past. But something has changed now. There's an understanding on my part that I didn't have before. And now I know him. And the fact is that this is exactly the vision that God has for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand. And that's the vision that God has for all of us. He wants us to become something different in our relationship to him than what we are right now. You know, my son Ryan is getting married next Saturday. All my life, or not my life, but his life, all Ryan's life, I have been praying about this day. Ever since he was in the womb, when he was not yet born, I can remember putting my hands on Robin's stomach and praying, Lord, I want you to bless this baby as it grows. I want you to bless him or her as he comes into this world and begins to grow and become all that you want him to be. I prayed very specifically, not just about his relationship with God, but I prayed specifically about the spouse that he would find one day in Christ. I prayed that Ryan would find a Christian woman that he could marry and that the two of them would have a relationship in Jesus that they could live out in life and one of these days maybe give me grandchildren that would live out the same way. And of course, I prayed that for Adam and Stephanie as well and I've prayed that for Megan. And I have a vision for what I want my children to be in the Lord and to watch that vision become a reality to see that happening in their lives, it's, it's one of the greatest joys of my life. And when God was giving John a message and saying, I want something to happen in the world through this one who is going to come, and I want to proclaim through you, John, the message that he's the son of God, God had a vision. He had a vision for what he wanted you and me to become. So much of that vision is for us to understand the person of Jesus and that he is indeed the Son of God. And so the last point on this slide, for you to know Jesus is God's purpose for you. And it's not just we're going to intellectually understand that he's the Son of God. It's not even just that we would say he's Lord. But he wants you to personally understand him as Lord in your life. And for that reality, that reality about Jesus to be real for you. He has a vision for what he wants you to know, what he wants you to become. The disciple of Christ that he wants you to be. And then I want you to see this. 
I'm convinced from this passage that God's purpose becomes our purpose. And what I mean is, is that if God wills, if he desires, if he has a vision for all of us to become all he wants us to be as we come to know him, if that's God's purpose, to reveal Jesus so that we can come to know him, then this becomes our purpose, does it not? Like, wouldn't you say that our purpose is going to be God's purpose? Whatever God wills for the world, that's going to be our will as well? Wouldn't we say we want God's will to be done? God's vision is our vision. And so if God's vision is for his purpose in Jesus to be revealed, not just in the ministry of John the Baptist, but throughout all history, then our purpose, now think about this, our purpose as a church, as individual Christians, our purpose in life becomes the purpose of God. And our purpose then is going to be to tell others about Christ, to make known what it is that God is doing in our world with Jesus. But doesn't that fit perfectly with what Bobby and Jim were talking about a couple of weeks ago when they were here. Those of you who were here and, and shared all, both what Bobby was doing on Sunday morning and Sunday night, but then also what Jim did in the next couple of days, you heard these two fine servants talk about God's vision for his world. His vision for the world is that everyone would come to understand who Jesus is. When John hears who Jesus is, when he grows through time to understand who Christ is and then sees the dove land on the shoulder and he sees Christ come out of the water and he hears the voice and then he sees the Lamb of God walking along the side of the river and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He recognizes this was his call to proclaim this one who comes after him, who is greater than he is, whose sandals he can't untie. You and I recognize that Jesus, his sandals are something we can't untie. He is the one to which all of history and all of God's revelation is pointing. And God longs for the vision for all of humanity to become a reality. And that is that they would recognize and honor his son. What a beautiful opportunity it is for us as Christians who've come to know Jesus to take into the world this message about the Christ. To say, He is the Son of God. Here, all of you people out there who are seeing your addictions as your God. All of you who do see your success as your God. All of you who understand Muhammad as the key prophet, or understand Vishnu as God, or understand Gahatma Buddha as God, all of you who think that Gandhi was the greatest teacher that ever lived, all of you need to understand that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and that the Lamb of God came to take away your sins. We have the privilege of being able to proclaim that to our world. And church, there's a call to us in that. We want so badly, when I say we as a church, but especially our leaders recently have been focusing so much on this, this idea that God wants us 
to take into our world the good news about Jesus. And I pray, I hope, that you see that vision, that you catch that, that you see what John was trying to do, what God was trying to do through him, and what God then wants to do through us. We have a lost world of which we are part. And we are the ones who have the message of salvation for that world through Jesus. Oh, I pray we answer the call. Let's pray. God, when I see what my son has become, I'm filled with joy. When I think of the vision that I've had about his life and the way that that vision is being fulfilled, I'm so, I'm so proud and so filled with joy, God, for the way in which you've worked. And Lord, we know that you want the same thing to happen for your children. We know how much it pleases you, how much it fills you with joy when one of your children becomes all that you wanted them to be. And God, we recognize the great news, the message of Jesus that we have that makes it possible for human beings who are lost and dying in our world to see the light of Christ, to understand that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away their sins. God, we know that fills you with joy. Help us, Lord, as a congregation to long to fill you with joy. Help us long to see lives changed. Help us long to see those who have other commitments in our world, who have other gods that have replaced you. Help us to see that we can impact them positively with the good news of Jesus. And, And Father, take away the barriers, the things that would keep us from sharing. Take those away. Fill us with your love, with your desire to see your children come home to you. And Father, work in us, especially those of us who are leaders in our congregation, help us to know exactly how this needs to be done best. Lead us, guide us, motivate us. Fill us with your passion for the lost. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.